Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in again to this edition of Stand Up For The Truth, a very important topic today, and that is the hard but necessary work of prayer and Talk about a season in America and the world that we need prayer more than ever. We're talking about um, a book called City of Prayer in just a minute. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this opportunity to encourage your people, to hopefully uh, encourage and equip the saints, and hopefully, Lord, uh, just to, to show us what we can be doing at this time where many of us feel maybe helpless maybe, and hopefully not hopeless, Lord, because you are our hope, and we pray Lord Jesus, that uh, you just give us wisdom during these times and uh, also help us to know you better, know your purpose for our lives. And we know part of that purpose is not only to share the good news of Jesus, but to pray. And there's so many people, so many things we could be praying for, Lord. So we need your direction and we need your wisdom. Help us to know the hope of your calling. Uh, open up the eyes of our hearts and remind us of the amazing riches we have, the inheritance we have, and the promises of you, Lord God, and the future with you. We thank you so much for this day, um, for daily bread, for provision, for protection, and we thank you for the health that we do have. And uh, we love you, Lord. Thank you for this hour in Jesus' name. Well, today I'm, I'm excited to bring a new guest to uh, the, our audience today, Pastor Trey Kent. He started Northwest Fellowship in 1993 from Austin, Texas. He's been in full-time ministry since the late 80s. He has a Master's of Divinity from Oral Roberts University and did a Doctor of Ministry work at Fuller Seminary. His passions, very simple, Jesus, prayer, and family. He's the author of Revival Cry, and also the book we'll be discussing today, City of Prayer, Transform Your Community Through Praying Churches. Uh, Trey, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. Hey, it's great to be on here. It's great to hear what's going on there, and uh, God's doing some unique things around our country. Yes, He is. Let's yeah. let's start with that. Um, first of all, how are you guys doing down in in Austin, Texas? Are you um, doing okay in your area as far as the things being shut down and people uh, dealing with the coronavirus and whatever else? We are. You know, we. I think what I see as a pastor and working with leaders here in the city, people are getting a little bit tired of it, I think. Huh. Our, our governors start to open up just a little bit. I think some of the small businesses are starting to open with uh, as long as people can order and pick up at the door. And so there's just small changes coming. But, yeah, it's, it's been a little bit tough. But, uh, but we're seeing God do some unique things related to prayer in this season that we hadn't seen before. So from a prayer movement standpoint, we feel like God's doing something great. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that, your observations on this from a pastor's perspective, because obviously after 9-11, for example, uh, America generally uh, dropped to our knees, but that only lasted a couple months. And then, you know, we said we, yeah. we, we would never forget, and then within six months to a year, we forgot. And so this is a different time where this is kind of like a health threat, this invisible health threat, the coronavirus, and a lot of people are, are turning to God. I mean, Google searches for prayer and God are uh, through the roof from what I understand. Bibles are selling. They're the best-selling book of all time, but the least read. So what are your observations on how this is impacting not only Texas, but maybe the nation as a whole? What we're seeing, David, is that the prayer movement, which is just people crying out to God, has actually been growing during this season uh, through Zoom, through a bunch of different avenues. I mean, I've been in prayer calls uh, in the last week or so with five people, 100 people. Uh, there's been a prayer call that's gone out through America Praise that's had uh, 20, 30,000 people that are on the call listening in. And what we're seeing is that people are praying, uh, crying out to God because, you know, we feel like we're desperate. And, you know, Second Chronicles 7.13 says, if, I, if God sends a pestilence, you know, which is a plague, mm. and, and if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God says that he would forgive our sins and heal our land. And I believe that's what God's doing. He's awakening a movement 
of prayer uh, even more. And we're all a part of it. It doesn't really matter if we're prayer people or not. For Christians, we're prayer people. Mm-hmm. That's who we are. We're prayer people. Before we get into the book, City of Prayer, I have a lot I want to ask you about. I'm glad you brought up Second uh, Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. And in context, there are verses after that, too. A lot of times, National Day of Prayer, 4th of July, we take that, we just yank that out of its context and say, this is for America. This is an American verse. Well, yep. I'm glad you mentioned the pestilence, and this is a pandemic that, that we're in right now. Either God sent it or God allows it. Can you give us a little bit more insight on that and then how the principle of repentance and prayer are for all of us? Yeah, no, I, I believe that. Here, here's my take on that. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians that all the promises of God are, are for us. They're yes and amen. And when that 2 Corinthians was written, that was all the Old Testament promises. Mm. So obviously the yes. promises for, for Israel, God's going to fulfill, but they're for us too. And so I always tell people, if you don't want Second Chronicles seven fourteen, I want it. I want it for our city. I want it for our nation. I want it for our world. And I believe that call to repent and to seek his face and turn from wicked ways is the key to transformation for, um, for our cities and states, families, nations, neighborhoods. And I believe that, uh, that God has given us an invitation in this hour. Dave Butts, who is the National Prayer Committee chairman, said he's never seen more prayer than has been going on in these last six weeks than have uh, maybe decades. Mm. I mean, it's been decades since we've seen this kind of prayer. And so I'm, I'm with you in believing that God is shaking our nation for a reason. Yes. Because he wants to turn us back to him. And uh, I agree that 9-11 was a short-lived uh, change. And we're praying for a long-term change. This is the number one thing I'm seeing as a pastor that I want to see happen. I believe it's happening to a degree, and that is, uh, Jonathan Edwards said, every home is to be a little church. And I believe that that's the key of what God's doing right now. He's sheltering us in place so that we can have our little home be a little church, so that when we all come back together, we're going to be stronger. I believe that's the big win out of this season. Wow, I love that. Love Jonathan Edwards, too, by the way. Thank you for bringing him up. Um I want to talk to you a little bit about the, some information here in the press release for the book, City of Prayer. Um, it says that you guys uh, could not disagree more with the idea that some say, well, a uh, prayer that doesn't lead to concrete action toward our brothers is fruitless and incomplete. We've heard the media say, will you stop talking about thoughts and prayers whenever there's a national, uh, maybe there's a shooting or a, or a tragedy or some sort of, you know, weather uh, destruction, a tornado, hurricane, whatever that might be, they say, oh, thoughts and prayers are meaningless. How would you respond to that? Well, I would I'd take one of those uh, great quotes from history saying, you can do more than pray once you've prayed. You can't do more than pray until you've prayed. And what we, we see happening, also A.W. Tozer says, your greatest workers are going to be your prayer and worship people. And I think that's true mm. because we work out of the power of God and out of the wisdom of God. And so what we see is that a prayer movement that doesn't lead to mission is not a true prayer movement. It's, it, it's, it's something's off. It's inwardly focused. A true prayer movement is always going to result in mission, outreach, evangelism, laying down our lives. And so we're seeing that, that prayer movements that are emerging are always beginning to be attached with evangelism, compassion, outreach, um, caring for the poor and the needy. So it seems to be go uh, hand-in-hand with uh, prayer and outreach or married. They can't be divorced. I'm looking at your website right now, northwestfellowship.com, the church that you pastor. Under upcoming events, there's four events there, and they all have the word prayer in them. So I can (laughs) tell the heart of you, uh, your pastor of this church and the church behind uh, that's following this model that you're you're really encouraging, you're really actively pursuing this yeah. life of prayer, Tuesday night prayer, women's call to prayer, Sixth Street prayer, and then the day of unceasing prayer. Tell us about Sixth Street prayer. Did you mention that? And is there a separate website for that? There, there. I don't think there is. Here's what happened: is about 12 years ago when God called us. My wife and I were on a prayer walk in 2008. And we were standing on a light pole in our little neighborhood, and God said, uh, Trey, wouldn't it be wonderful if 31 churches would adopt one day of prayer every month, and my city could be covered in prayer 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? And when, when God called, gave me that call, I'd never even heard of prayer movements. 
I didn't even know what was going on, but God said he wanted his city covered in prayer. Hmm. When I got that call, I started casting the vision to our church and said, that needs to happen here. And so some of our young guys said, well, we're going to take the, we want to take prayer down to 6th Street, which is the party capital of our, it's like Mardi Gras almost every weekend here. Wow. And partying. And so they got these orange, we got these orange shirts that say prayer team on really ugly, bright orange shirts. <laughs> that you can't miss and we go down there, sometimes 5, 15, 20s. We've had 40 or 50 or 100 people down there. And we just walk the street, and we're not preaching. People stop us and go, what are you doing? Hey, we're just praying for people out here. We, Jesus sent us out here to care for people. And invariably, we spend the whole evening praying for people that have needs. And so that's what I'm talking about, prayer and mission, is that once prayer's launched, it, it, you, it goes to the darkest places and begins to reach out and shine Jesus. And that, that we've been doing that for 12 years now, going down every month to pray on 6th Street and to share Jesus in a wow. loving way on 6th Street. Wow. And I see that the link there that I pulled up uh, talks about uh, 6th Street prayer team every last Friday of the month. You, you do that every month on a Friday night? Do you do that? Every month. That's yeah, I, You know, I don't go every time, but I, I do support the team and go a lot. And I like it because for me, as a pastor, I want to get out there, too, and be in a challenge. I tell you, the first time we went down there, guys, guys David, I was so shocked that I, I thought, what am I doing down here? <laughs> I mean, the streets were lined with people partying like crazy. And and I thought, what are we doing down here? And I felt like Jesus said, I'm with you, and I've given you authority to come down here and share my love with people. And, man, it was it was transforming. Every time I go, it changes me. That's, to be share Jesus like yeah, that. Yep, yeah, they need to, we need we need to get the gospel out. It doesn't say who. It says just says says go, right? Those are the church's orders. Right. We're talking with Pastor Trey Kent, uh, City of Prayer is the book and he's the pastor of Northwest Fellowship in Texas. Uh Trey, there's some information about a drought that your city went through. Uh, apparently one of the worst droughts in uh, history of Austin, Texas. Um, and it says over a thousand believers gathered from different churches and denominations, which I want to ask you about more in a minute, but just to pray and worship. And um, evidently the next weekend it just started raining and it just wouldn't stop. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, some year, a few years back, our, our water source is Lake Travis for Austin. The greater Austin is exploding with people. 150 people move into Greater Austin every day. I mean, that's like a new church. It's like the average size church or, or twice the average size church moves in every day. And so they're worried that our water source was down to like a 20%. I mean, the lake was, you know, like 80% empty. And it, and it was really, it was bad. And so we took that Second Chronicles 7, 13, and 14 seriously. We said, hey, this is on us as leaders. It says that if there's a problem like this and there's no rain, the heavens shut up and there's no rain or there's a pestilence, if my people. So we called a prayer meeting. We actually went before the city council, which had never been done, and we told the city council that we felt like the issue of drought was on us as the church, and we were, we repented and, and prayed there. And we called the Church of Greater Austin to come together. About a 1,000 came together at Hyde Park Baptist, and the whole evening was an evening of repentance and mm. prayer and walking through Second Chronicles 7.14. And the next day we began to see it rain. And it rained, and it rained, and one weekend it rained 30 feet. I mean, it filled the lake 30 feet in one weekend. Wow. And uh, I can't even tell you how much rain was needed to fill that lake. It took, you know, sl slow and steady, but over the next uh, 600 days or so, that lake filled up, and it's still basically full. Wow. I mean, it's not, hmm. but we haven't seen that kind of drought. I mean, so it, for us, I think that the prayer movement changed when that happened. Because leaders in the city saw, you know what, the prayer movement really does address needs of our city, and they really, God answered our prayers. I mean, large and small, all the churches saw God did something historic through that prayer meeting. And the media was covering it. It was a crazy time, and it was one of the big moments in our history of prayer in Austin, Texas. Wow. I think of Elijah, obviously, when you're thinking about praying for rain, praying that it would stop, praying that it would not rain, and then praying for rain. Um, we, we forget, and I'll let you open up, uh, if you want to do a little mini sermon here. We've got five minutes before we need to take a break, uh, Trey. But obviously, verse 17 in uh, James chapter 5 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly. I'll just let you share your thoughts on that when people say, well, that was Elijah. Yeah. 
Alpha. No, I think this is perfect because I think the prayer movement is about just Christians. I remember asking the Lord, why did you call me to lead this prayer movement? And often, I, honestly, I felt like the Lord told me because you were like the worst prayer I know. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, that is funny, but I mean, I think he takes our weakness. And mm-hmm. God helps people pray who understand how weak they are in mm-hmm. prayer. And, and Romans 8 Amen. says that in our weakness, the Holy Spirit helps us and prays through us and, and helps us pray prayers and make those prayers uh, perfect before the Father. So I just want to encourage people out there that don't even know how to pray. You feel like your prayers don't even reach the ceiling. I got good news. They don't need to reach the ceiling because God is inside of you if you're a believer, and he hears you. And I want to encourage you to cry out for your family, to cry out for your marriage, to cry out for your kids, to cry out for your city, and, and see a movement of prayer begin right where you are. And like Elijah was just a normal man, we see him as a big prophet, but his normal prayers, just like ours, changed uh, changed the world. And so I'm seeing that, David, that the normal prayers of people across our city, state, nation, and world are beginning to change the complexion of our cities and neighborhoods. And we just rejoice that God hears normal prayers like ours. There's no second-rate Christian. There's nobody filled with a little junior Holy Spirit. We all get the Holy Spirit when we get saved, and we can cry out with power. And so... I'm excited, and I, I say, call the Bible says, call to me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Psalm fifty fifteen. What a powerful verse. Absolutely. Um, on the back of your book, uh, City of Prayer, it says, imagine what could be possible if your city was covered in unceasing nonstop prayer. Uh, Pastor Trey, how do you get there? How do you do that? Well, it, it's simple, but very difficult. But the simple part is that a church just has to adopt one day of prayer every month. And if you get 31 others to join you in your city or region, then you're going to be covering the city in 24-7 prayer. Mm. That's how we got started here. We just adopted a day, and we started asking other churches, would you adopt a day? Would you have one 24-hour day where you pray for the city for 24 hours? Somebody gets up at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. and is praying for that hour for the city. And so the hard part is that to get churches to realize, hey, this is a part of our vision. This is a part of our ministry, not just to uh, preach the gospel, yes, but also to pray for our city, to mm. pray for God to work, to join in unity with other churches and cry out for God to transform our region. And we're seeing prayers come together and unify. I mean, we have people from all over as a result of writing this book saying, we can do this in our city. We can do this in our county. We can do that in our state, and we're seeing God do amazing things because of it. You know, you worked with um, Dr. Bowman. He's uh, over at uh, Hyde Park Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. A a lot of us say, yeah, but it takes other Christians and other churches to work together. But, Trey, as you know, there are some in the body of Christ that look at other churches as competition. We're on the Mm -hmm. same team, but they don't see it that way. How would you encourage pastors or uh, church leaders who may be listening right now that go, yeah, I want to reach out, but every time I've tried to invite them to an event, they just don't want to uh, tell their people about it. Yeah, and we've seen, we saw that for years, and I've been in Austin 27 years, and Austin was very competitive, uh, and they called it the preacher's graveyard, and <laughs> preachers were actually preaching against each other and wow. taking out ads in the paper, and so God broke that by a simple thing, relationships. As we begin to build relationships with other pastors, we begin to see they're just like us, and that competition began to break away. And mm. we have a very unchurched region here because of UTs here in the capital, and so we have a great mission field. And so we realized the competition was not, uh, you know, that that other people would steal our people, but it's the lost is who mm. needs to be saved. Our competition is the lakes and the football games and everything else that's going on. We need to see people come to Jesus. And there's plenty of opportunity in every city in America. It's the lost people that need to be our focus. And we need to encourage each other because as we pray for each other and God blesses another church, that's a good sign that he's going to bless yours too. Mm. And I I just believe that when someone else wins, we win too. So I think really celebrating the victories that God is doing in your region are very helpful to help see uh, that God could do it in your church too. And so I, we, we, we said, we're just going to, as we pray, you know, I started praying for other churches on Sunday morning by name. Mm-hmm. And I prob- that probably caused the biggest stir that I've seen. And people say, I've never seen that anybody ever do that. <laughs> I would say, oh, Lord, I want to pray for, you know, for, for Pastor Hawks at Hill Country Bible. And then people are like, I can't believe you prayed for them. Well, they're my friends. <laughs> yes. I love them. And people are blown away by that. 
So we got to start building relationships and praying for one another is key. There are brothers in Christ, and we are family, and we've got to have that mentality that we are all family. We're one in the Spirit. We have the same mission. Uh, Pastor Trey Kent, we'll be right back. We've got to take a break. But the book is called City of Prayer, Transform Your Community Through Praying Churches. More on Stand Up for the Truth when we come back. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're on the line with Trey Kent from Northwest Fellowship, Austin, Texas. And the book is called City of Prayer. In Chapter 8, Trey, The Promise of Prayer, um, you refer to Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Talk about the promise of prayer. Well, what we realized was that there's promises uh, that Spurgeon used to call them checks that we never cash. That Imagine having checks that were written to you that you never cashed. <laughs> this isn't really about money, but money, I mean, it's just an illustration. It's really about promises that God has given us. that we. And I think this is the key to, to big prayer. And uh, one of our colleagues here in Austin wrote a book called Pray Big. The key to praying big are the promises of God. And uh, God-sized prayers bring God-sized answers. And I think the promises um, are open to us, a whole new world to pray for our cities and our neighbors and our families and our children. So how do I pray for my kids? You get the promises. One of the best promise books David Wilkerson did, the Jesus Person Promise Book. What a great promise book. You can get it, uh, and, and it's incredible to pray those prayers pray those promises over your kids. And we realize that there's promises that we need to be claiming for our city and for our churches. And those will be really rallying points for prayer for us to hold on to those promises and claim them and pray them and uh, rejoice over them that God is going to answer. And we've seen him do amazing answers to prayers as we've held those promises. You mentioned uh, in one of the chapters about uh, a pastor, an author, who said, I've been around Austin for 40 years. I've never seen such unity among churches and favor in our city and impact for the gospel. Isn't that what every city in America needs? But could you give us a couple very basic points? I know you said you're, if a church commits to one night a month or one full 20-hour day a month and gets other churches to do that, there are at, at most 31 days in a month. What is an additional step that maybe we can take to see that kind of result? I, I think that it's a long-term vision. I think sometimes that we have a short-term vision and think, well, I'm just going to, we're going to pray this year. And, and But we've committed ourselves to a long-term strategy to pray for our city. And we want to make Austin the most prayed-for city in America. And I think with that kind of resolve to say, you know, we're going to pray for the long run. Austin's been in a mess like other cities for a long time. It's going to take a while, but we're going to pray together. And I think beginning to cast the vision to other leaders that prayer is an essential part of our mission and we can do it together. I think that's what we try to do. That was John Burke who wrote that, who's, who uh, wrote Imagine Heaven, a bestseller. I mean, he's an incredible leader here at Gateway Church here in Austin. And he said he, he believes that the prayer movement is the reason why evangelism is beginning to, to spread so rapidly and, and the mission is being accomplished more freely and greatly in our city is because of prayer. So I really think it's a long-term strategy, and I would encourage pastors that are listening and prayer warriors not to lose heart. Keep praying and get others to pray with you. The, the simple thing, I think, is to get somebody else to pray with you. Hmm. You know, I think that our prayers are strong, but they're stronger when we pray together. And that's why you mentioned earlier we have five prayer meetings a week at our church. And, you know, maybe they're attended by 10 to 20 people or more sometimes, sometimes less. But we want people praying together, and we don't want people sitting on the bench. So I would say that the best next step, I would say, is if you're a pastor, get another pastor praying with you. Get your staff praying with you. Or if you're a prayer warrior or just maybe you're just a Christian listening to this, get somebody with you and say every week, what if we prayed for revival in our, in our city hmm. or in our families or in our churches? Just get together and begin to pray. I think that's the first best step in every city across America. University of Texas, that's in Austin, right? Yes, it is. Okay. Absolutely. So we've got the Green Bay Packers here. 
Um, some friends of ours go every home game. They go out and they do what we would call street evangelism. They're trying to preach to fans that are in, you know, heading in and out. Is there anything like that? I know you've got, uh, like you said, the comp- entertainment is like competition for for the gospel and for the church. Is there anything like that kind of outreach or what other kind of things might you do to reach either the college crowd or like a major sports event like that? Yeah, we've had, you know, Austin has so many people coming in. Of course, South by Southwest is, is huge. Hundreds of thousands of people come in. This year it was canceled because of the COVID-19. And we've realized that the church has kind of been sitting on the bench and so there's two ways we're trying to go forward is in doing evangelism. We're trying to get people out to share Christ with people that come into our cities uh, through, you know, handing out water or just doing evangelism. Also, we're trying to get artists, music, musical artists, to be in South by Southwest in encouraging Christian venues and across the city. So we're beginning to see Christians actually uh, invade uh, Lauren Daigle, people coming in that are a part of this that bring a Jesus element to it. And uh, so I, I'd say we're growing in that area. We're not great in that area, but we, we want to see more evangelism happen. I mean, when you've got hundreds of thousands of people coming in yes. for football games and everything else, we've got to get better at doing evangelism. And yeah. so the danger for anybody and anywhere I've seen is they get caught up in the culture of the world and miss that we're part of a greater culture, the kingdom of God. So I would say to all of us, say, Lord, help us get your visions to how we do evangelism in our city and to take a step of faith. It always takes a step of faith to yes. do it. Yes, it does. And it's, it's hard to get out there. And, but if you think about it, um, Jesus said you will be hated. If I was hated, you know, I, you will be hated too. And we're not dealing with the kind of persecution that a lot of, uh, restricted and hostile nations to the gospel where, um, they're actually threatened with their lives are threatened, their families, their churches burned. We don't deal with that. We, we're, we just deal with being called intolerant or hateful. But all we want to do is pray for them. All we want to do is share the gospel with them. Uh, Pastor Trey, um, you really make the point, I think, in many places in the book that the pastor, the local pastor is a key to developing a culture of prayer. In our closing minutes here, just want to give you an opportunity to uh, encourage not only pastors but church leaders that are listening, ministry leaders, and how they can take this next step to work on that to develop that culture of prayer. I think that's key, and for us, that's the big win in our city. Is not just saying, "Hey, we have churches that have adopted a day of prayer and are praying twenty-four hours one day a month," but we want to see that to be the the inroad to building a culture of prayer. Now, what does that mean? That means prayer is involved. When I'm alone, I'm praying. And uh, when I'm with my family, we pray together. When our staff meetings gather together as church leaders or as business leaders, we pray together. And when our church leaders get together, our elders, we pray together. Prayer's significant. That's the culture where the culture is driven by prayer. Prayer's not an add-on, but it's, it's the heart of all that we do. And I believe that's key for uh, for churches. And I, I think we've gone around pastors for far too long. Hmm. The key to a sustained prayer movement across America is pastors. I remember when I had the awakening, standing under the light pole, when I felt like Jesus said, I want my city, Austin, covered in 24-7 prayer, and I want you to mobilize the churches to do it. I was shocked. But I believe there could be people listening today that you're called to lead prayer in your city. You're called to invite other churches to be a part of it. And let it begin in your own church. That's why I keep fighting to say, Lord, let prayer happen at Northwest Fellowship. Let it happen in my life. Because it's got to be a part of the culture of my heart, the culture of our lives. And so I want to encourage pastors and prayer warriors and leaders to begin to gather people. Go talk to your pastor. Get them the book City of Prayer and give them an opportunity to learn that there is a movement of prayer like we've never seen before sweeping the globe. It's a silent transformation that's happening across our world. So I'm excited to just encourage people to say there's hope. God's moving. The prayer warriors are actually praying together. It's incredible. Uh, Pastor Trey Kent, what a blessing to have you on this morning. And the book, it's not, for you guys that are listening, it's not a long book, just over a 100-some pages, a City of Prayer. I really encourage you to pick this up because right now we could be making such a dent and impact well, spiritually, but also in our communities because of what's happening with coronavirus and everybody's, um, people are fearful. The media sure isn't helping, 
But people are, instead of cultivating faith, there are even some Christians that are kind of teetering on uh, fear because of the unknown. Final thoughts, Pastor Trey, how would you encourage those of us who are believers that say, y'all, I've been so distracted, I allow myself to be so busy, I just haven't developed those spiritual disciplines to pray. I want to get there, and now I see what's going on in our country and uh, with, with this fear of this virus. How can I take the next steps to pray effectively in this new context? Well, I, I think it's two things. One is to have some sort of time during the day and method that you pray. And I've got the best method. It's the Lord's Prayer. Hmm. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I did it in the book, you can do it on your own. You break, I break it into six segments. And I just, uh, you know, if I have time or, or just encourage you to pray those segments. And if you, you pray those little simple segments, I think that Lord's Prayer is the best prayer model. And if you just pray like five minutes in each segment, you're going to pray 30 minutes. If you pray 10 minutes in each of those six segments, you're going to pray for an hour. And I want to encourage people, just even if you pray two minutes in each segment to get started. Mm-hmm. And second of all, pray for your people around you. Pray for people that are discouraged. Call them and pray for them. Say, you are in my heart today. Do you mind if I pray with you? You will not believe what a difference it will make. Almost, I've only, in 27 years of being a pastor, I've only been turned down once or twice uh, with saying, can I pray for you out in public? Mm-hmm. Because people want prayer. <laughs> I've heard. They want their lives to change, so... I would just encourage people to step out. And this is an amazing season to actually pray for people. Yes. And it will encourage them. Yes. And I've heard that too, Pastor Trey, that hardly anybody has ever said no when someone, a Christian, would approach them and say, can I pray for you? Pastor Trey Kent, the book is City of Prayer, and I'll put that link in today's podcast notes at standardforthetruth.com. God bless you, brother. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you, guys. What an honor. Thanks, David. You're welcome. Bye-bye. City of Prayer. I was just looking through it. I, I, just different uh, chapters. There's so much to take from this book, and it's not a long book. I would really strongly in, encourage you to check that out and just to refresh your prayer life. I admit, I'm just public confession right now. I am. That's prayer is not one of my strong areas. I like to be. I would like to be more consistent, and I'm great about reading the Word every single day in the morning. But my prayer time. So I want to get better at that. And we're, we're working on that here as a staff here, the ministry of Standard for the Truth and Q90 FM radio. And we're hoping to get more pastors involved. And, and, you know, we need to be a part of this, encouraging the body of Christ. But as Pastor Trey Kent just said, there is an opportunity right now that is unprecedented. I know you've heard that word about a million times in the last month. This is, though, what's happening in our country. People are open to answers and at least they're searching for truth some of them don't know what they're searching for but they know there's this uneasiness and this uncertainty and this fear of what's happening and we can encourage them by just saying hey how can i pray for you i saw a photo this morning of uh, elizabeth johnston she does uh, some ministry work and obviously very very pro-life she's very active obviously (laughs) she's known as the activist mommy they're going door to door in her town and just knocking on the doors. How can we pray for you? So they're, they've got the masks on. They're social distancing. They're praying for people. There's this one photo I just saw this morning. It's really It really touched my heart. There's a woman that's standing on her small little porch, and she looks like she's in her pajamas. She, she's, I think, almost bald. So I'm guessing maybe she's either elder. She is elderly. She looks like she's in about her 70s. It looks like maybe she's been struggling with cancer or something like that, but she's on her porch, and there's Elizabeth and some others are just standing there with their hands extended, uh, praying for this woman. Man, imagine if in every city where there is a Christian church in America, there were just a few people that went just to knock on doors. They open up the door. Hi, um, we're from whatever church. You don't have to say that. Just say, can we pray for you? I mean, that's convicting to me, too, just to think about that. Um, There's a message from Mission America that Linda Harvey put out that I want to share with you. It says, remember churches, Christian groups, and candidates. And it says, in the shadow of COVID-19 and America's economic shutdown, major corporations and small businesses are getting some federal assistance. It won't be easy to access these funds, and we don't know yet the full extent of the help 
from the government or the unfolding consequences. But there are critically important elements in our culture that may be bypassed without the help of individual donors and may not survive this shutdown. And here's the list. Consider this, friends. If you've not been in church for two months or whatever, that's where a majority of people put their tithe or their check or donation, whatever you want to call it, they're giving in an envelope and drop it in a box or in a basket. These are necessary, essential, I believe. Churches, Christian pro-family groups, pro-life organizations. There are women's shelters. There are women's uh, health care facilities that do not do abortions. And many of them do not get government funding because they don't do abortions. Did you hear me? They survive on private donations. Churches, Christian pro-family groups, pro-life organizations, um, Christian media outlets, uh, websites, uh, resources, uh, ministry sites, radio stations like our ministry here, uh, conservative political candidates. Now, candidates also, they the ones that are speaking the truth and trying to make a difference for life in the womb and, and so many other things. But there are, let's just start with churches and ministries. I just want to encourage you to remember them. Uh, next week, we have a fundraiser here. A week, Actually, a week from today exactly. We do a fundraiser twice a year for three days, and we are listener-supported. We do not take government funding because we don't want to have strings attached and for them to tell us what we can and cannot say on the air about the Bible, about the Christian worldview, about life, about marriage, about sexuality, about gender, about anything else. We want to be able to speak the truth. So back to Linda Harvey's message, I urge you to make donations where you can to those you may have taken for granted in recent years. And here's one reason why. Our Christian voices need to be stronger than ever now as we continue to face the radical elements that seek to destroy and corrupt children and families. That hasn't stopped just because the coronavirus threat has become more real to many of us and the country has changed. The radical agendas, evil being called good, has not stopped. They're trying to reach our children, and they're doing a pretty good job of it, reaching our children for evil. But there's another very urgent reason, reason she writes. It's an election year. Already, primaries are being delayed or changed to, quote, mail-in elections, and who knows what impact this will have. There's a valid reason to avoid mail-in elections. The opportunity for fraud is enormous. And we know that certain elements supporting the left and the Democrat Party have no problem with cheating in elections. We face a critical time in our country, and we need every responsible conservative voice available and functional. Please support first your church. They are probably seeing a decline in donations, and we have never needed the church more, especially here in America, than we do today. And by the way, the voices of pastors speaking out about the tough issues has never been more critical to America's survival. Then, as you are able, please support the other groups you have long admired. The family organizations, for example, here in the Midwest, the Wisconsin, Wisconsin Family Council and others, Illinois, Michigan, they all have family organizations that run on donations. Um, and most importantly, pray to the Lord like never before. We must humble ourselves and ask for His almighty intervention to save our nation to preserve our religious freedom, to protect our children, and to save persecuted Christians around the world. And she concludes, let's stand together as we remain faithful to our wonderful Savior, Jesus, and show active and positive faith in America's future. That's from Linda Harvey, Mission America. It's called Remember Churches and Christian groups. Um, when we come back, a couple articles to talk about, and uh, we'll do that in a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Okay, one story we haven't heard much about that's kind of a flown under the radar, I think, on purpose, is uh, Joe Biden and the uh, sexual assault allegations against him. Some of you are going, what? Never heard about that. Well, of course, the media has not reported this. I'll, we'll talk more about this uh, in the next couple of days. 
But CNN, for example, they did like 700 articles mentioning Brett Kavanaugh and his debunked accuser, Christine Blasey Ford, who the witnesses couldn't even, there were no witnesses. They, they, they lied. People that came forward actually lied, and they admitted that now. But the media won't tell you about that. But even at the time, a couple of years ago, there were over 700 articles. You know how many articles have been written in the first, let's just say in the first couple of weeks of these allegations against Joe Biden of sexual assault? Zero. None. So there's a problem with the media in our country with this double standard that we have. You don't know about it because you haven't heard about it. Anyway, so it's been unbelievable. The, the woman's name is Tara Reed. She actually worked uh, with Joe Biden in the U.S. Senate. She worked for Biden, and she's got friends that will confirm her story that she did not keep it silent for three decades or whatever, like Christine Blasey Ford. She came forward. She actually went to the police at the time. Um, I believe she made a report, but her friend said, yes, we remember her telling us at that time. So there's already a vast difference in the legitimacy of this story and these sexual assault allegations again against Joe Biden. But why are they, why are we not hearing about it? Why is the media quiet? Because of course he's running for president. So <laughs> after all these articles went out against Kavanaugh and the, the, you know, hate Kavanaugh mob, was meeting and stirring the, stoking the flames. Um, times have changed, apparently, and the Me Too movement no longer cares about due, or now they care about due process where they didn't then. In other words, they didn't give Kavanaugh the benefit of the doubt, but now they're, oh, they're suddenly willing to give Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt when the circumstances are, are much, much different. So let me tell you about this. This just came out a couple days ago now. A political correspondent at CNN <laughs> came out finally after almost a month since these very real sexual assault allegations came out against Joe Biden, at least three weeks, if not four weeks, and now there's an article. But you know what? They're not addressing the claims of this woman. They're not concerned about this woman having the bravery to come forward, right? Like uh, Christine Blasey Ford was against uh, Brett Kavanaugh <clears throat> during the Supreme Court justice hearings. Now, you know what their concern is? Here's the headline. Democrats grapple with questions about Tara Reid's sexual assault allegation against Joe Biden. They're concerned about how it's going to look, how it appears, how it's so inconvenient at this time because Joe Biden is running for president. They weren't at all concerned about Brett Kavanaugh and that, the timing of those allegations because he was uh, nominated for the Supreme Court justice. You know what I mean? So this double standard, and I know we've talked about it, until we're blue in the face. But this is now, friends, an accepted double standard in this country, and the hypocrisy could not be more glaring. There is such a stark contrast. I'm actually writing about that this week over at Freedom Project Media. That's I'm, I'm doing an article on this. It's actually absolutely unbelievable that the media is so willingly um, blinded by this, their own bias. It's so sad, friends. It, the, the moral of the story is the media is immoral. They're calling evil good. They are willingly and not even trying to hide their bias and their allegiance to the Democrat party anymore. I'm not saying there are not good journalists out there, but when we do a show, um, on the, uh, the principles of journalism and why the press was created and established in the United States of America, you will be floored by how low today's media stoops and how low the standards are now. Um, well, it's a double standard, so of course it's a low standard. So I thought that was an important story that uh, is not even getting much mention at all in the mainstream media, ABC, CBS, NBC. They punted on this story because it's about Joe Biden. They'd rather, you know, stoke fears on the coronavirus. And I understand that. That does need to be talked about. But how much more do you need to, sh to share on that? Um, okay, so that's done. And by the way, there's several stories over at Discern, D-I-S-R-N is the website, D-I-S-R-N. Um, Adam Ford 
is uh, over there at Discern, also Media Research Center. You can always get the truth there. It is absolutely astounding, the hypocrisy. So, all right, off my soapbox. Back to Wisconsin. Wisconsin. I'm looking at the stay-at-home orders for the region here in the north um, uh, midwest. Um, back to work. Dates that these states are going to be open for business. Minnesota. Well, let me let me start with the earliest one. The soonest one looks like it's, it's Illinois, which is uh, May. I'm sorry, April 30th, which is um, a week or so away. April 30th, they're going to start uh, getting these businesses going again. They're going to start implementing the phases in their their plan. Illinois, in just over a week. Coronavirus deaths in Illinois, 1,349. <clears throat> Next is actually the same day, Michigan. Michigan is just over a week away. Michigan, coronavirus deaths, 2,468. Michigan's a big state, but 2,400, over 2,400 deaths, coronavirus deaths. They're getting back to business or at least starting to open up uh, May 30th with a lot of other restrictions. They have some their governor, some power grabs there, some stay-home orders and things like that, but at least they're apparently starting the plan. Stay at home home until May or April 30th. Sorry, April 30th. So that's just over a week away. Illinois, Michigan. Next, May 1st. May 1st, Indiana and Ohio. Ohio coronavirus deaths, 509. Indiana, 577. They're getting back to work. Iowa, right next to Wisconsin and just south of Minnesota. They didn't have any uh, stay-at-home orders. They didn't have any restrictions. Their deaths are minimal, fortunately for them. And did I say Minnesota yet? Minnesota, 143. 143. They're getting back on May 4th. Now, contrast Michigan and Illinois with our neighboring states here in Wisconsin. Michigan and Illinois. Michigan, 2,400 deaths plus. Um, Illinois, 1,350 deaths. Wisconsin. Ready? Really, 228 deaths, 5.8 million population, right? The stay-at-home orders are until May 26th, not April 26th, May 26th. When you've got at least three states around us with some, uh, Michigan, I think, uh, how many times more of that? <laughs> like 10 times more deaths due to the coronavirus over in Michigan and uh, Illinois and they're getting back. At least they're starting to implement certain things, certain measures in about a week and a half. Wisconsin, another month away. Most of us do not understand this. If all the governors in these neighboring states were doing the same thing or similar, you know, every state is unique and different. I understand that. But if all the governors were kind of doing something similar as far as implementing this plan in this region of the country, I would understand that, okay, our governor is doing the same as that. But Tony Evers, remember when he was elected on all the, the Wisconsin monuments or when you come across state lines, there's a picture of the state or the up in this big wooden monument. It's got this Wisconsin state, and then it said open for business on the bottom. Tony Evers, when he was elected governor, removed all those open for business signs, which is kind of ironic now when you look at back at that. When Scott Walker was governor, open for business. Tony Evers, what did he put up there? Tony Evers, governor. All right, so that should tell you a lot. But I know I've, a lot of my brothers and sisters in Christ are, are debating this, whether we should take care of our health and obey all these uh, things and restrictions. And we should take precautions. I'm not saying be irresponsible. I'm just questioning the fact that why aren't we at least on the same page or time frame as other states who have three of which, four of which, have more deaths Due to the coronavirus, some exceptionally more deaths um, in their population. Anyway, just a few thoughts, and I don't have enough time to do this because we've run out. Um, Kevin Sorbo, if you follow him, go to CNS News. Kevin Sorbo is putting out some uh, quotes and tweets and go to his Facebook page, basically saying, everybody, please wake up. And I'll just share one of them. He says, um, let's see, when... <laughs> When the, here we go. When the state tells you it's safe to go to Home Depot to buy a sponge, but dangerous to go out and buy a flower 
And when the state shuts down millions of private businesses but doesn't lay off a single government employee, it's not about your health. When the state puts you in jail for walking in a park with your child because it's too dangerous but lets criminals out of jail for their health, and when the state tells you it's dangerous to get treated by a doctor and yet says liquor stores are essential, it's not about your health. And he didn't even mention the abortion clinics that are open because they're, quote, essential. But anyway, Kevin Sorbo, God bless him. Man, what we're talking about uh, off air here, Crash and I were talking about uh, the days of being an actor and the, how tough Hollywood is. Well, Kevin and Sam Sorbo, God bless them, protect them, pray for them, because they are Christians that are shining a light. They're doing a lot of good, but they're also very vocal in speaking out about these things. And whether you agree with them or not, we have free speech, and let's just uh, keep praying, friends, and just take it a day at a time. Um, when we come back, I'll tell you about our guests the rest of this week on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. It was great uh, interviewing Trey Kent, uh, pastor down there in Austin, Texas. The book is City of Prayer. Again, we'll put that link in today's podcast notes. We thank you for sharing the podcast. I know I say that a lot. I might sound like a broken record, but I have to because it's your sharing the podcast that actually makes a difference and gets us out for other people to be able to click on and, and check it out because uh, we are... Uh, Facebook doesn't give us a whole lot uh, of room. Uh, they've been shadow banning us for years. We have not been able to break through that issue. Maybe we should pray more about that. That's a good reminder for myself. Um, pray that the powers that be would allow our um, posts, our podcasts, to show up in people's news feeds because um, they're not right now. And people have to go directly to our page in order to see oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes they need to see our posts. So, um, Tomorrow, Alex Newman, you're going to hear about the education system in America. I know people are homeschooling now. Some people are no schooling because they said if the public schools aren't doing it, I'm not going to bother. But still, don't don't uh, eat everything that the public schools want to feed you, even though your kids are home and they're sending you emails on lessons plans. Be careful, Christian parents, on what the curriculum is and what's behind it. And uh, please, please, please be careful. So Alex Newman. He writes for um, the New American and the Epoch Times. He'll be—you'll uh, hear from him tomorrow. Also, Thursday we'll get another pastor's perspective with Mike Abendroth. Uh, what's happening over there in New England? And we're going to be talking about discipline and how the Lord—he uses trials in our lives, even like national trials, worldwide viruses, different things, the like pandemics, coronavirus. Pastor Mike is going to be talking about discipline in the church. And then Friday, of course, I've mentioned Stephen Bankars. He'll be back with us. If you missed our first interview with him last month, please go to StandUpForTheTruth.com. In the search in the top right, type in Stephen Bankars, B-A-N-C-A-R-Z, and check out our interview with him last month, former New Ager. He's got a lot of wisdom and knowledge to share, and can't wait to have him on again. So that's Friday. Uh, appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.